running industry makes billions of dollars off of folks of color. They love to collaborate with Virgil Arbolo and do something with Off White. They love to get folks of color to add some flavor to their line, right? So if you are going to capitalize off of that, then you should disproportionately make things right in the community. Not equal, but equitable. track friday this is ali this is ann hi guys we're back we're back with an exciting episode but before that a little bit of coffee you (laughs) have a new i don't know instrument can you tell us a little bit about that (laughs) i sure can uh before i get into my new uh best friend here i just want to acknowledge that this is the first time we've done like a real I mean, it's not real. It's like the 2021 quote unquote real Chill Track Friday where it's Friday morning and we're drinking coffee together. So cheers to that, Ali. I cheers. wish we could do the clink. I'll do it here with two cups. <laughs> um, yes, I bought myself a new espresso maker What's for a few reasons. One, just so I can make lovely coffee at home. It's kind of important, you know. There's simple pleasures in life, and I haven't been buying coffee out of it, making it here with my percolator. And I just thought I'd, you know, mm-hmm. step the game up a little bit. Yeah. So I bought one uh, for myself for Christmas, and it just well, actually, there was <laughs> a story behind that. I accidentally have like two orders because I tried to cancel my order because. It wasn't coming fast enough. So I was like, I'm going to bypass this order and get another one. And it actually worked. (laughs) The second order arrived before the first one, but then they didn't cancel. So anyway, I bought it from Breville and it's cute. I got it in the color sea salt. So it kind of blends into the wall because I have white walls in my kitchen. I like the importance of having a good coffee maker. You do have a podcast that... uh coffee is one of the themes of the podcast. So, you know, kind of got to live up to that. Yeah, totally. I know. Exactly. And I thought to myself, you know, I spent actually a lot of money in New York City on coffee because there's just great coffee in so many, like all over the city. Um, And here, you know, I'm not really, I'm not going out to get coffee, not because it's bad, but just because I don't need to. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's fun to have something to experiment with. There's lots of different settings. I think it can be as simple or complicated as you want it to be. So I'm already learning, which is great. Mm -hmm. I'll paint a picture for the listeners. So I watched you on Zoom making the coffee itself. And I felt like I was digitally across the screen waiting for, you know, a cup of coffee at, um, and and a barista was making it. I was like, what, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) It's like being at a place like Bluestone Lane Coffee or something. I really miss making coffee for you after our runs on Fridays. So that was the closest thing over Zoom. Yeah. That was the yeah, that was the inception of our the idea of the Chill Track Friday podcast. <laughs> I know. It's amazing to think of hot summer days at the track because it's freezing. I really don't like winter. I mean it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, but I don't like being cold. We did get some of the best photos during those winter sunrises. They were really nice. That's true. 
Yeah, the sunrise here is amazing. Let's talk about our guest. Can you tell us who he is? Yeah, so today we have Victor Diaz, who is one of the co-founders of a retail running store in Oakland, California, called Renegade Running. Um, And actually, that's not the only thing. Victor has a very rich history and background from where he comes from. He's been a runner for a really long time. Um, and he has been an educator, um, a principal of a school, and he has founded charter schools, um, in, in his community and has always had this focus of bringing people together, learning from them, listening, understanding, especially in minority communities and making sure that underprivileged communities are served and have a voice, um, and his renegade, the, the renegade running store. Uh, which, by the way, you guys should absolutely check out. It's renegade-running.com and Renegade Running on Instagram. Um, is the 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 mission of the store is to create a space uh, for people of color and minorities to come and feel welcome. Uh, as we know, there have been a lot of conversations since last year um, about how to diversify and make the sport of running more inclusive. And here is someone who has actually created a physical space in terms of like a retail store that where, where the mission is exactly that. So our conversations with Victor go everywhere around like running, around retail stores, around merchandising, around inclusivity in running and getting his perspective on, you know, what he thinks and how he's you know gotten to where he is and what his what his future dreams are in that regard thank you ali it's a great episode we hope you enjoy welcome to the podcast victor thank you and thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it so why don't we start with renegade running can you tell us a little bit about what it is what inspired you to create it along with your co-founder yes so renegade running is a running retail store um a physical space located in Oakland, California, um, about two blocks from Lake Merritt, um, and right near um, uh, Broadway and Grand in downtown Oakland, which is also an epicenter in the downtown area. So we're really centrally located between retail and um, um, artists' workspaces, um, you know, tall, you know, businesses you know uh, a lot of dot-com businesses like pandora and others uh locally um and then you know an old school community um located here near the lake that you know for for most folks that have been here for generations um if you don't know oakland oakland's a, a great really diverse city um has a huge influence of folks of color at every level um civic political activists, artists. So the city feels very diverse and almost, you know, of course there are pockets that aren't as diverse, but for the most part, it's a really diverse city. So in the middle of all of this diversity and growth, there had existed only one running store in the area. And, you know, Oakland is, you know, over a half a million people. And in the Bay Area, there are, you know, millions of people in the area and a lot of people who are active and run and cycle and do triathlons and stuff. Um, and we have this beautiful scenery. I mean, we have, you know, hundreds of miles of trails that are, you know, a five minute drive from the store. 
There are uh, paved bike paths that run throughout most of the Bay Area. So there's a lot of really beautiful open space, and yet there was one run specialty store. So that had me curious for a very long time, like, hmm, why aren't there more running stores? Um, And of the running slash sporting goods stores in the area, um, why do they, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but like, why do they suck, you know? And that really bothered me that there wasn't a running store that was more innovative, that was more welcoming to a diverse community and that would serve as a hub, a place where you can ask questions and hang out and contribute and learn. Um, So there was a void of all of those things. So that was a big part of why um, I wanted to open the store. Um, I'll say that I um, also was running this parallel life of working in public education for more than 20 years. Um, I was a classroom teacher and a high school principal, and then I, mm. I founded and started two charter schools in Berkeley. Um, and I've worked entirely in communities of color, um, you know, 90% kids of color, 85% of them would have been first-time college goers, 80% qualified for free and reduced lunch. Um, I've worked in continuation schools and juvenile halls and places like that. So I was also um, in love with the work that I was doing, and I felt like that was my life's calling. Um, but I was also a little burnt out, and I felt like that wasn't my only life's calling. <laughs> so, um, um, And then the final piece is that I had been a competitive runner um, uh, pre-college, through college, um, post-college, and um, have run um, most major marathons and I've done Ironman distance triathlons. So all those things were kind of converging um, between my ability to build community and to start something just from an idea and the lack of, of having a space for a more diverse population in Oakland. Have you been able to integrate some of your school experience with the store in terms of community outreach? That's, thank you for asking me that question. Nobody in the running industry has ever asked me that question. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there is a lot of overlap. I believe the elements of being a great classroom teacher or a great school principal is the ability to listen, um, to observe, um, to stay quiet long enough to pay attention to the needs of kids, the needs of teachers, um, whether that's um, um, academic or learning needs or social emotional needs, um, the needs of the, the of the extended family. So <clears throat> to be, I think, to be a, an efficacious educator, it requires a level of um, a, a, a level of distance between your own personal experiences and your own political views, and allowing for some quiet space to allow uh, others' experiences to kind of come. Uh, to the surface so that they can be addressed and nurtured and, and worked with. So I bring that element. So when customers walk in to the store, I don't have a preconceived idea of like the shoe I want to sell them or the training that they must undertake or, you know, things like that. So I think that that's transferable. Second, I don't believe you can run an effective classroom or an effective school without parent involvement and community-based organizations and other nonprofits, um, right? You need a holistic approach to supporting kids and families and educators. So similarly, I believe that in operating in um, a running store, um, we can only do so much, right? Whether 
I mean, whether, you know, we've run really fast or have dealt with, you know, 50 injuries or whatever our experiences are, that's still a very limited view. So we have to constantly be building community if we're going to be able to serve our running community um, in the ways in which you want to serve them. So I do have a good skill set in reaching um, within the running community and then trying to build bridges with people that are outside of our community, what may seem like disparate communities initially, but then when you partner with them, you see the overlap, you see the bridges that are being built and how the community just naturally expands. Can you talk about some of those partnerships and what they look like? I'm asking specifically, like, I'll expand on this for a second. So last year, given what happened back in sort of uh, March and April, it there was a whole conversation that opened up about being a person of color and feeling safe while you're running. And it opened this whole conversation of why, why running looks the way it looks. Why isn't it safe for people of color to run? And then why... Um, why does the landscape look like the way it does? And then we have had sort of conversations within our running community a lot of times, like, why, why is it? Why do, why do I go to a running group and 95% of it looks white, right? And why, why, does, why doesn't that feel welcoming to people of color? Um, and a lot of times, a lot of those questions have been to sort of, let's say, head coaches of track clubs and things like that. And most of them have been white. And a lot of times my experience has been they haven't had an answer, not because they're not trying or don't want to do it, but they genuinely are like, I, I actually don't know. I don't know how to solve this. I don't know where to partner. I don't know what to do. Um, so you you have a clear mission in creating a store, bringing these two backgrounds. I loved your answer that you just said. So can, can you give some examples for in sort of educating people in terms of like what those partnerships look like and how to push inclusivity forward in terms of making those welcoming spaces? Yeah, yeah. Um, so continuing with the theme of education and the parallel, when you walked into my schools as a school principal, my staff as a whole always reflected my student population. I would have a majority minority teaching staff. I hate to use those archaic terms, but for the sake of this um, example, Um I would have black men teaching English, teaching math, um, women of color teaching science um, as administrators. When I was when I started my charter schools, I was very deliberate that all of my school administrators that I hired were folks of color. That was just an absolute must. Um, so people would often ask me, "Where do you, where are you finding these folks of color? You know, how are you doing it? You know, when we try it." we don't come up with the same results. And I think that that's kind of already setting them up for failure, right? You're kind of going in with the assumption that the pool of people is already small and it's like finding a needle in a haystack, right? Conversely, the way I approach it is I, I treat every experience with a person of color as a, I'm building community, I'm building family. Um, I don't care who you are and where you are. I refer to you as my brother, my sister. I see them. I would treat them just as if they were my own family. If we're in a supermarket and you're short some money for what you have on the counter, here it is. Just, you know, so I try to approach life that way and my community that way. Um, and I feel that same way around white allies as well. I have some amazing white folk in my sphere um, that are white allies through and through. 
Like they know when to speak up and they know when to listen. They know when to um, stand next to you. They know when to stand in front of you or behind you, you know, and, and I would, and I feel the same um, about them as well. So that's one aspect, how that has translated specifically to our store. Here's, here is a specific example. Early on, a gentleman came in, an African-American male came into the store and did not fit the stereotype of a runner, right? He was about 6'4", you know, probably 250 maybe. I mean, you know, a good solid big guy. In fact, he needed a pair of shoes that was, I think, like a size 14 or something. Um, And he wanted some trail shoes um, that he just wanted to walk around in. And I want to talk about merchandise in a second, because that's also an important point that I'm learning. Um, But anyways, as we got to talking, he was sharing with me that his background was in design. And in fact, that he had started a magazine called Umber Magazine, right? So so, um, in my other life, I was an English teacher and and, um, I believe very, very deeply um, in, in the narratives that we tell the narratives that are not told. And storytelling is a really important part of preserving our culture, preserving our community. So I fell in love with this guy immediately. I'm like, oh my God, like you put together a printed material of like black voices. And then he goes, yeah, but my magazine is actually focused on black and brown folks and indigenous folks. So I was like, oh my God, like I'm even more in love with this guy. Like how, you know, like who puts out a magazine in print anymore these days, right? And then who focuses on these stories? <clears throat> so, so the next thing I said to him is, we have to collaborate. We have to find a way to work together. I didn't stop and think, oh, I'm a running store. How do I sell running shoes? No, I'm like, this is my brother. He has something that's really valuable. How can we bring our communities together? I had no idea even what the next, what his, the issue he was working on, what it was even about. He turns out, so I begged him, I said, can we do a magazine release party for your magazine when it drops? Can we release it in the store? I'll turn the entire store over to you and let's just make it an Umber magazine night at the store. And we'll bring in Ethiopian food from our neighbor. We're going to bring in a DJ, this um, this uh a uh, w- woman DJ who who um, wanted to spin some music. Another person I met in the in the store, um, and he was like, "Yeah, let's do it." The irony in the story was the magazine was focused on movement. That was like the theme for his magazine. So he was featuring African American um, uh, trainers and uh, uh, like a weightlifter, a, a woman who does weightlifting, um, an indigenous, a young uh, Apache. Um, indigenous uh, young brother who is um, who he, he and his father sell skateboards on the Navajo reservation called Apache Skateboards. So it could not have been like a per- more perfect magazine issue, right? Which I would have done it if it was about I don't know. I can't even think of something off the top of my head, but I would have done it no matter what. It just so happened that when you reach across the aisle like that, sometimes it's that obvious that the collaboration is made in heaven and perfect. And sometimes it may not be in right initially. And you don't need to get caught up in your head in that moment. Like, well, should we partner or should we not partner? I don't see how it's directly related to running. You know, you got to put that stuff aside and just trust that when the communities come together, there will be overlap. And sure enough, the night of our opening, we brought our communities together. So many people knew each other. 
or they knew of each other's work. His folks had wanted to buy shoes that they could hike in and walk in, but never felt welcomed in a running store. Some of our folks, a lot of white allies that, that run, wanted to be in a space where they could observe and be comfortable and ask questions and learn. So it was a perfect night of just like communities coming together. And so, um, so anyways, um, yeah, so that's just an example of, of, of what it means to me to have a retail space that is more than that right? It's a hub for the community. And if your heart is open, if your mind is open, the partners will come and you find ways to share that space. And then those partnerships will start to happen naturally. Um, I want to say one other thing that that is turning out to be, um, in writing, they call it an objective correlative, right? It's this thing in storytelling that you know, it's a literary device, right? That that has significance and you don't know what, you don't know what the significance is until you get toward the end of the story. I love wearing trail shoes and I love wearing boots and Ali, you might, well, and, and, and you've been, I think, well, since both of you are on the East coast, I think you'll appreciate the story because Timberland boots are like the, like everybody in the East coast has a love affair with a Timberland boot, right. Or some version of a Timberland boot. It's a very urban thing. I'm using coded, stupid, colonized language by calling it an urban boot. It's a boot that we wear, you know, um, or boots like that that we wear when it's cold, but we also wear them just to look good, right? Like we wear them with our jeans, we wear them with our sweats, we wear them with our joggers. When I was merchandising from with the store and different vendors would show me their their shoes, um, I would right away say to them, well, can I see what else you have? What else is available? Because I want to bring some boots into the store. Um, so many, so I do have boots in the store that folks see them in the window when they pass by and they come in and ask about them. None of them call themselves runners. Not one single person that's ever come into the store that sees our boots. Like we have boots from Hoka, from On, and, and they're big and they're grimy and they're boots that you'd want, that you would never think about hiking in just because they're cool and big and, you know, Gore-Tex and stuff like that. But so many folks of color walk by and see them and they come in and they buy them or they try them on. And I'm telling you, man, it brings questions and conversations together that would not happen otherwise, right? From one simple piece of merchandise, right? Like, so conversely, if all I had in the store were, you know, next percent shoes, what kind of runners would I be catering to, right? The everybody who's trying to qualify for Boston. Right. And no offense to the folks who want to qualify for Boston, but then you already start narrowing that that pie. You've already start slicing it down pretty dramatically. So conversely, I have folks that walk by and they say, oh, man, I love these boots. They're dope. Can I get a pair? And they start telling me, you know, I, I walk around the lake a couple times a day, a couple times a week. And then I ask them, well, come and join us because we have folks that run around the lake, but we have folks also that just walk around the lake. So be a part of the community. So. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's maybe that's more anecdotal. I don't have any research on that, but merchandising the store a little bit outside of the box is going to broaden. It's going to widen that that universe for you. Actually, thank you so much for mentioning that, because I wanted to talk to you specifically about merchandising and um, also just choosing brands and things. And I got the I get the impression from hearing you speak and also getting the the short tour of your space that 
you're very carefully curated it in a very, as I said, elegant way. And um, there's two, two sort of elements to my question. One is that, and you already touched on it, like not doing just like a mainstream store where people could get run of the mill, even if they're new things uh, like the example you just used. But in that, in trying to really curate a product and an identity and a brand for your, yourself, it requires, I'm sure, a lot of research. So you you um, you sell a lot of brands that I had not heard of. Um, I just quickly going through your stock list saw District Vision, Satisfy, Unsanctioned, Reigning Champ. And can you kind of walk us through the process of how you vetted the companies? There is an element of um, kind of back to this sort of one track mind of running gear and it's kind of geared to a certain athlete it's generally white it's marketed to a white audience and so how did you go about kind of creating this beautiful space with your items yeah yeah and i uh, thank you so much for these questions i appreciate being in conversation about the not so obvious right because um so i thank you i really appreciate that um so for, yes, for years before opening the store, and I do mean years, and, and it has been countless hours of researching down to the fabrics that are being used or, or a process of how the garment is constructed. I also want to add what's, I think, equally important are the brands that we don't carry, right? Because they're not omitted by happenstance. There are brands that have reached out to me that I also don't carry. Um, I don't want to mention them. There are some companies that I do omit just based on their outward appearance and, and little cues that I pick up. Yeah, so, so I'll just say that I, I, it's really important to me who we don't carry. I'll probably just leave it at that, right? Second, the stuff that we carry, I want to believe in it deeply. I want to know that the people that are creating it believe in it deeply and are not creating something just to... Um, like replicate a knockoff or trying to make a bunch of sales or um, things like that. So, so anyway, that's, that's kind of the, the de facto, like what we don't do. I love craftsmanship. I love when, when an artist takes their time and thinks deeply about what they're creating. I pay attention to what people are wearing all the time. I pay attention to what people are running in, what people are active in. And I also pay close attention to the stories that runners tell me when they come in, i.e. when they say, I also hike, I also cycle, I also do triathlons, I also ski, I also camp. That tells me that they are experiencing apparel in different contexts as well. So if I can present something that works in multiple settings, but they may not have just put those pieces together Part of my job in merchandising is to bring items that they could put on that works in all of those environments. And more and more, you're seeing that. For example, Rafa has a down jacket that they'll show in their merchandising that you can wear on the bike, which, of course, means you can also wear it when you're camping and you can wear it when you're going to the movies. Um, right. So I look for items like that that are beautifully designed, that function in multiple places. Um and, and yeah, there's a part of me that's a little snobby and wants it to be really exclusive also, right? Um, so in my, in my quest for, for um, merchandise that checks all of those boxes, that's how I've come to many of these companies. Of course, many of them are known and they're more <laughs> readily available. 
Um, Patagonia is one of them, of course, and they're just an awesome company. So why not? Satisfy. Satisfy is a really um, interesting and amazing company because most people's first reaction to that product is that it's way overpriced and they must be crazy over there in Paris. And it's like, you know, and I totally get that argument. And especially at a time when there's so many people that are jobless and on and on. And that's a real thing, right? I appreciate how the bar has been moved by Satisfy in the same way that Rafa moved the bar for cycling apparel, right? And so I just have to congratulate them, you know? And and it also, it again, this idea of making the universe bigger, it then brings into, into a designer's mind, I would imagine, um, what else can we do now that we don't have to design within the confines of a $40 running short? If the bar is 150, what can we do? If we don't want to go to 150, do, do we want to land at 120? But if we do, that's more resources. So what can we do? What elements can we push on to see if we can come up with something better? And so I think all of that is done. Most of it is done in the spirit of pushing the sport forward, making it appeal to more people and and making running cool again i think there was um you know during the you know i'm i'm 54 um i remember some really beautiful designs from the 80s late 80s and early 90s in um you know if you look at some of the the running track suits from asics and Saucony and adidas i mean they were just glorious in the way they were you know, the color palettes were just amazing and the styling was incredible, right? And so I feel like there's this rebirth of that with more technical fabrics and things like that. So can you tell us how you hooked up with your partner, Baloda Asmaram? So Baloda's Baloda's definitely a legend in the area. Like he, you know, he's 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 gone really far with his running. Um so back in the early 90s, mid 90s, I was coaching at a high school in San Francisco. And funny enough, and it wasn't by design, but I had all these like refugee kids that were on my um, cross country and track team. I mean, literally, like I had a kid from Central America I had a couple of kids from uh, who were Chinese, I think a Vietnamese kid, um, a, a Cambodian kid. Um, so um, I had a woman whose um, family fled um, when Yugoslavia Yugoslavia split up. So it was truly an international team. And I would take them because their high school was located closer to the Bay Bridge. And it's just like all concrete around there. And none of them had ever run in Golden Gate Park. And and you probably know Golden Gate Park is just so gorgeous. And there's so many amazing places to run there. And so I bought a van. I bought an old Volkswagen, the big, those big uh, uh, Volkswagen vans. And I would schlep all of these kids illegally like without seatbelts or whatever i would like schlep <laughs> them all to, to golden gate park so we could run when while we were there running i would see uh Belota and his, he had uh, he has an older brother um and one other guy that they would always be running by themselves around the park and they were already pretty fast the three of them and i would see them out running and i would be running with all of them and then I think he was still in high school one time. And I think um, we ran a relay race together and he ran some incredibly fast time. I'm like, holy crap. This He was still in high school and he was like, all of a sudden he dropped like under 420 for the mile. And I was like, oh my God, this kid is, you know. So he turned out, he ended up going to Cal. We never, we didn't talk back then, but I had known about him. Um, he ended up going to Cal. Um, the One of the 
students that I was coaching back then, she also um, um, went to Cal and ran the 800 at Cal. Um, and so I had, of course, I had known of him and, and we had, you know, I would just kind of see him around and I would see him up on the trails and we began talking. When I had my schools, I hired him to work as a PE teacher at our school. Um, and he, so he worked there. So we reconnected again there. And then we started staying in touch much more after that. And we would run together. And, um, and of course, by this time, he had already had an entire career or an arc of a career, right? I mean, he had run um, at Cal, ran pretty fast there. Then he ran, he ran sub 1320 for a 5k. He ran in the Olympics. And so when he came back from all of that, as he was like deciding whether or not he was going to race full time or work full time, we started spending more time together and talking. And so on some of our runs up on the trails, we would talk about creating some kind of business that would better serve the running community and make and, and create a space where more of us could could um, join and hang out. We also have the, the blessing of of kind of growing up in a running store in San Francisco called Hoy's. And that was a black owned running store on hate that was like two blocks from Kizar um, Stadium where we would do our track workouts on Tuesday nights. Um, and that was like an amazing hub. The family was amazing. We would get all our gear from there. Like it was a really hip spot and it was a spot that we um, would love to go to. So we would also reminisce about that place. Um, so just as I was closing up my charter schools, I said to Belota, I said, hey, man, I really want to open this store. And if you want to do it, um, you know, let's do it together. So we just continue to talk about it. And, um, and sure enough, he just, you know, he decided to jump in and, and we just kind of went with it from there you know um it wasn't like some big master plan it kind of just kind of all fell into place kind of last minute and then we just kind of just kept rolling with it why the name renegade what inspired that what was the process in arriving to it yeah it wasn't much of a process i um so my charter schools um um i i the the mascot for the charter schools was the renegade Right. So it was like paying homage to to my charter schools. Um, I had a couple other names before Renegade Running, um, uh, but the name Renegade comes from I grew up in San Jose in a, a exclusive Mexican community. There was probably two or three black families, but it was all Mexicans and a couple of black families, no white families. And the schools that I went to didn't have enough money for sports. So most of us played like baseball and football and soccer in leagues that were outside of our schools. I played football for many, many years. And I was like always the smallest kid on the field. And, and the men that ran the, that were the coaches back then were just amazing. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. My mom was a teenager when she had me. So this was a place where we all went to to play football and to be mentored and to be loved and embraced and would have our ass kicked and, you know, scolded and, um, and hugged, you know? And uh, so they, we got all of that um, in this pop Warner football uh, league that I played in. And so the teams that I played on were called the Apaches, the chiefs, the Aztecs and the renegades. So um, it was just something that I always kind of carried with me and just brought that also to um, to the space. And it does remind me of what it means to be a welcoming space for all. You are probably tired of hearing this question, but given that you are a retail physical space, how did you adapt during last year, given 
COVID and everything? Um, well, I don't know that we've adapted. I mean, our doors are open, so maybe that means we're, uh, we've adapted. Um, we didn't have some big master plan that we then had to kind of shift all in a sudden. Well, with one exception, but we didn't expect to rely on online business, of course, in the very beginning. And that was the only thing we could do. And that was terrible um, in terms of generating revenue. The biggest, um, this sounds like a store owner and saying that the biggest downside of the pandemic was that we couldn't come together in the physical space. Looking back now, of course, there are things that are much worse than that, like staying alive and being able to feed your kids and family. But one of our core principles was run together. That was something, actually, we even printed that on our t-shirts in the very beginning. Um, we felt it really important that um, we could bring folks from various backgrounds together and build a, a run crew in Oakland. And, and that's how we were going to grow the community. And of course, the pandemic didn't allow for any of that. So we, that was an adjustment. We started and stopped our run crews like three times. Um, when we all came together, of course, we had to do it a little differently. And we're still figuring that out. We're not even close to, you know, having figured that out. Um, so that's a change. And of course, wearing masks feels so impersonal. And, and, and I love that sort of hand-to-hand combat and that, that human touch and, and interaction that, of course, at this point, we all miss and, and, and want. So that part of it is also, you know, sucky and that we, we can't, you know, give each other a hug or, or, or give each other, you know, um, some dap as we call it, right. Like a high five or something. So, um, so that's an adjustment, of course, financially, it's a big adjustment because nothing is consistent. I mean, we have a couple of really good days and then a couple of really shitty days and a couple of great weeks and then a couple of shitty weeks. So that's an adjustment. But at the end of the day, I feel lucky. I feel blessed. There are people that have it way worse than we do. So I'm just, I'm just really thankful that our doors are still open. Just to touch upon your um, stopping and starting, in those lulls, have you found that you've found a loyal following that does come back when you've been able to have community events or even just um, communication? Yeah, for sure. The the local community that lives nearby, has, they all have been awesome. They've come out and support us. And there are people who come in and say, oh, I, I didn't know you carried this shoe. I bought it at REI. And so I'm going to go return it and I'm going to come back and buy it from you. And they do that, you know, stuff like that, just because they want to support small business. And, you know, Oakland is a super political community and I love that about it. So there's like a whole campaign around shopping local, supporting businesses of color and stuff like that. That's also been amazing. And the running community, as it turns out, have wanted a, another running store, you know? So they've been also have been really supportive. So yes, there's been a lot of great love and support from the community. And we're really thankful for that. That's great. Are you, I, I see that one of your services is coaching. Have you, have there been a lot of people seeking out coaching from you guys? I mean, it's tough because there are no races really. Yeah. You, you took my answer. Yeah. So there, there have been some people it's been a super small group, but um, without any, without, I mean, nobody has asked to be coached for a virtual race. I mean, surprise, surprise. Um, um, so when some folks have asked for help, it's usually because they've had a consistent or some kind of chronic injury and 
they of course are they're going mad because they're already in the house a ton so they ask questions like what else can they do either to get back up on their feet and or to just kind of find some way to navigate both the public health crisis as well as you know the the, the physical body that's just not working the way they want to um uh, the way they wanted to um luckily you know um um, as I mentioned, you know, I'm 54, Belota's um, in his early 40s. Um, so we've had a whole multitude of injuries and training plans that we've screwed up and and, and some great races also. So we, we have a lot of different experiences to share. Um, but but at the end of the day, it, it hasn't been that many that have asked for coaching. Can we talk about your running? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, nothing, nothing super, uh, you know, amazing to speak of. You know, I've run in the low 230s for a marathon. Um, I've gone under 10 hours for an Ironman. Um, um, I've had a couple of, you know, I've had a couple of, um, I've run a, you know, a 50 mile or a 50K. You know, I've dabbled a little bit here and there in different, different races. I've, I've, I have felt faster and like I could have gone a little bit done, done, have done a little bit better in um, both in, in running and in triathlons. I, I will say that actually right now I've had several good weeks of training and I'm really excited to see um, what I can do now. Um, um, I want, I, I'd like to see if I can, I, I, I think it's possible to break 245 in a marathon right now for me and, and if things keep going the way they can, I really, I'm, I think I want to start saying out loud at some point um, that I want to try to get near 240 or under 240 if possible. Do you have a potential, would you do that on your own or is there a race that you have in mind if it goes off? Yeah, you know, at this point I probably would race in Alaska if, some, if a race came on, you know. <laughs> um, um, so I'm, uh, the LA Marathon said that they were, or that they, well, they were saying before, of course, LA is on fire right now with, with COVID, but um, at least right now it says that their race is still happening and that's in May. So I was kind of, right now I'm kind of training for like a late May, early June race. I'm still in that base phase. If not, San Francisco saying they may have a marathon, but that would be till July. So I may have to adjust some things. Just kind of very back of the envelope. Can you give us like a little glimmer into what like a peak week of a marathon training might look like for you? Um, well, right now I'm just doing a lot of base work. So I'm just doing, a, I'm, and I'm, and I'm trying to, to run much slower right now. I have a tendency to run much faster than my fitness says that I should be doing. So, so for example, when I'm up on the trails, um, if I'm running between, you know, eight to 12 miles with about a thousand feet of climbing, I really shouldn't be running faster than like 745. Um, and these are like really pretty nice manicured trails. This isn't like through some rooted, you know, section. My body's responding better if I can kind of keep that around eight minute pace. When I'm on the flats down in the marina, you know, I did a 20 miler. Actually, I did that on the trails. But, you know, if, I, if I'm if i going to run longer, I really shouldn't be going below 730 pace. So I kind of know what zones of pacing will work for me, um, just kind of based on, on, you know, where things are at. I'll tell you the thing that it does feel different this time around is that I'm seeing a chiropractor on a on a weekly basis. So that's helping me stay really healthy. And I'm being... The advice I give um, customers that come in who come in and say they have like nagging injuries is to focus on more body flow and movement as a way to strengthen your core. 
um, focusing on your posterior chain and keeping that healthy and strong um, just for muscular balance. Um, and that's going to kind of create better foot strike. So I'm, I'm paying attention to those details much more. So those things are helping me stay healthy so far. But if we have a part two of this podcast, I'll have to come back and see if I can stay true to my word and get through, you know, I'm trying to shoot for about 20 weeks of about at least 16 weeks of, of a, of a base buildup. Um, so if I can do that, yeah, that's the first time I've ever done a base that long. Cause right away I want to jump the tempo, right? Right away. I want to get out and say, okay, marathon pace is 615. Let's run a 13 miler at 615, you know? Um, so like I want to jump in to do that workout right now, but um, I probably could hit it and then I would, and then I would probably be injured like a week later. So, so I'm trying to be a smarter old man and have some patience, I think. It's, I think running really, I mean, personally, I was speaking, it definitely tests my patience. <laughs> um, how many, about how many miles a week are you running when you're base building? I mean, obviously that increases as you go. Yeah. So this phase, the first phase I went like 40, 50 60 and then 70. Um, I started and then I took a week off and it was an active rest, an active week. Uh, so I did some cycling. I did a lot of kettlebell work, a lot of core work, um, a lot of movement, like flow kinds of stuff. And this week I started out at 70. I wanted to go like 70, mid 70s, and then more slowly get up to about 80, 85. Uh, it, it's going to be in the, it's going to be somewhere between 67 and, and, and 80, 85, if I can, in the second four week block. And if I can stay healthy, I would love to try to have a couple of weeks of 90, especially if I'm going to do um, a May, end of May um, marathon. If it's going to be out in July, then I'll probably pull it back a tiny bit and just continue to build slowly for my age. And, and I don't, you know, I don't mean to this to sound offensive or or elitist or anything like that, but running a six minute mile or six oh five six ten ten mile is not that fast, really, right? I mean, these are ninety second quarters. What I need is the strength to do that over and over and over and over. So, staying healthy is the key to having that strength. Can you? A lot of our audience is East Coast based and. A lot of it is New York based. Um, so most of them are really familiar with the New York running scene and what that looks like. Can you talk a little bit about what the Oakland running scene or I guess the West Coast running scene looks like? And then specifically, you have running groups that are leaving from Renegade itself. If you can paint us a picture what that looks like on any given evening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, to not not to oversimplify it, but I would if I was putting folks in sort of three buckets we also have kind of this like pretty fast, you know, super fast, like easy Boston qualifier folks um, that are well known in the community that, you know, these are guys that are probably somewhere between 225 and 240 marathoners. Um, they're like between, you know, 68 for a half and like 74 for a half marathon group. And just like any other community, um, you know, mostly white, mostly like post-collegiate runner folks, and they kind of stay off to their side and do their own thing. I'm not, I'm not part of that group. You know, that's, um, I think even if I could run those times right now, I don't know that I would want to be part of that group. Those are guys who are like checking people's Stravas to find out if their Strava segment has been beaten by someone or something. You know what I mean? It's like, 
Yeah. So anyway, so I'd say that's one group. Then there's another group of folks um, that I see running around the lake. They don't have any coaching. They run alone, mostly folks of color. Maybe it's walking and running. They might be wearing, you know, shoes that they got because of the price, not because of the fit. Um, or because it's a popular brand, like they might be walking to Yeezys, for example, <laughs> you know, and wondering why their feet hurt. Um, but they're out every day and they're out at the lake every day, but they're mostly like just kicking it with their friends, you know. Um, and those are mostly folks of color. And then there's our small little group that is pretty tiny right now, but is emerging as this like amalgamation of, you know, there are guys who can, who can run 67 minutes for a half marathon pretty easily. And there are people who um, are having difficulty running two laps around the lake, which is a 10K, you know, and that's a, that's a pretty diverse group. I mean, I, I got a, you know, a white guy who's a doctor that lives in Piedmont here in Oakland, which is a really expensive, super exclusive, like mostly white community. And we have folks that are, you know, unemployed educators that are, that are, you know, running, get bought their first pair of running shoes, you know, um, from us. So so we're trying to build that community. Um, I'm really envious when I see when I see running crews around that are building and growing and becoming more and more diverse. You know, yeah. So anyway, I, that's that's something that I that I um, want for us to be able to build as well. You know, why do you think? Maybe this is going to turn into a much bigger macro question in in the world we live in, anyway. But why do you think the running scene? the diversity in running scene looks the way it does because at the top, if you take the long distance, it's dominated by East Africans or people of East African descent. If at least at long distance, you go to track and short distance distance, it's West African or people of West African descent from Caribbean and the Americas. But when you come down to the recreational everyday fitness level running, it is so whitewashed if I can use that word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's still, there's, there's still a level of affluence that is needed. I mean, running is not cheap. Um, and then my God, now with like Nike going bananas with, you know, $300 shoes, that's pushed everybody way up, you know? So I, I you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound, you know, middle-class and elitist, by pretending that running is just simply a pair of shoes, right? Um, it's not. It's a lot more than that. Second, it's not uncommon for working class folks and being part of a community, of being part of the Latino community, speaking from experience, our communities, our families are extended. It's not uncommon to be like, yo, you got to go, go by and see your grandma, go by and see your, you know, your abuela and, you know, take her some food. And, you know, people don't ask you, well, you can do that after your run or after your track session. No, it's like, if somebody says, go by and check on them, you go by and check on them. You know, um, if somebody says, you know, your, your tia's cousin needs somebody to take care of them, then you go and pick them up and, you know, you take care of them. If somebody needs to be picked up from school, you go pick them up. And so these are impromptu things that happen much more frequently um, in working class families and extended families, you know, um, we, we are less likely to insulate ourselves from the rest of the world and say, this is my training schedule. These are my training hours. They're sacred. They're protected. Nobody messes with them. 
Um, and I do find that, that much more affluent people do, much more white folks do. That's, that's, I think, kind of more of an American culture. So I think some of those things are in play. And again, like I, you know, I'm not a super fast runner, but I'm faster than runners at most running stores. And I haven't felt welcome in too many running stores that I go into. So there's also that, you know, just about about community and what it means to walk into a space. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people want to try on a pair of shoes and buy them just because it's Nike, even though it doesn't even fit their foot, right? But how do you have that conversation respectfully with someone? So I think, again, that's kind of another factor. And let's face it, man, running has not been cool for a really long time. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's cool to cycle. Cycling looks cool, but that's kind of a whole nother story. It's cool to play basketball, you know, in, in, a, in a community where there are a lot of folks of color hang out in the park. I mean, there are some other things that are just more, much cooler, you know. So I think there's a lot of other, you know, this kind of all of these other social factors. And, you know, one of the things that I think is worth discussing as well for communities of color is our diet. You know, our diet is laced with colonial, being this, these colonized people, you know. Um, it's starchy. It's carbohydrate filled. It's sugary diets. That's not the energy or the fuel you need to say, I want to go for a run, you know. So I think that that's also worth examining. And then the other thing, too, man, about being a consistent runner and a healthy runner, it requires, you know, maybe some gym work, maybe some yoga work. Hey, those are two other places, too, that are not like readily accessible um, to folks of color. So so I think it's a combination of all of those things, both within the running community and sort of those ancillary um, uh, components that support um, healthy living. Uh, just to kind of pan out a little bit more and look at this topic from an industry-wide perspective, is there anything off the top of your head that you think that the running industry can do to kind of change the the image of running to a more inclusive? Because we, we've talked a lot about how we can make a difference in our community, but there's also a responsibility that might be lacking from just like an industry-wide, in term, whether it be marketing and maybe... Um, May I use the word sometimes it comes across as self-serving, like once a brand might find that they can get some use out of it, then they swoop in. But why aren't they there to begin with and helping to support more diverse community hubs from the get go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I'm I'm brand new. And so to to the running industry on this side, right? So those of you all that are listening that are in the running industry, I guess it would be super easy to dismiss me on my newness. I believe there are a lot of parallels going back to um, the education conversation, right? When I started a charter school, I was the only independent founder of a charter school, okay? I.e., I wasn't part of some larger conglomerate. And I should say, just as a asterisk, I'm not like one of those charter, like crazy charter evangelical people. I started a charter school because I was working at a continuation school that was 90% African-American kids that were being kicked out of Berkeley High School. So in a very affluent community, and I had tried in multiple ways to change the ethos of that school. And when the district kept saying no to me, and I was like, well, then fuck you, I'm going to start my own school, right? Because... Um, I was kicked out of high school when I was 17. So I had a very different sense of urgency around 
working with kids and not saying we'll get to it when we get to it. So with a tinge of that anger and frustration, I kind of said the same thing, right? I'm like, I don't know that many stores, running stores that are owned by folks of color. So I'm like, okay, then fuck you. I'm going to start my own my own store then, right? I wish that running store that running that the running industry had some form of like affirmative action to help more folks of color start businesses. That I know that that's also a very loaded word and probably a very controversial statement because it's like, why should you get special treatment? You know what I mean? But I look at it this way. Throughout this entire, even past, you know, um, the most recent like Floyd and Arbery and other folks that have been that have been, you know, killed on national TV and the people are out protesting, and you see people's Instagram handles change as a result of that. The running industry makes billions of dollars off of folks of color. They love to collaborate with Virgil Arbolo and do something with Off White. They love to get folks of color to add some flavor to their, you know, Nike product or Adidas product, or um, now, of course, New Balance with um, Salahi and other people that are like really spicing up their, adding some flavor (laughs) to their line, right? So if you are going to capitalize off of that, then you should disproportionately make things right in the community, not equal, but equitable, right? Don't go and say, okay, yeah, let's go give $10 to every running store now because we've been profiting for so long on this community. No, some stores need $100 and the other stores don't need $10. So um, I'm more of that mindset. I'm more of that camp. And I won't say the vendor, but I actually told one of them specifically, I'm like, you're designing with a black shoe designer and your sneaker is probably going to be named like sneaker of the year by hype beast and other people. So you're profiting off of this like urban culture, but what are you doing to see to it that either more black designers get into the fold or more black designers start their own shoe companies or that stores that are opened up that are, you know, uh, black and brown owned, what are you doing to help them grow beyond um, the difficulties that we face, you know? Because similarly, before I opened the store, you know, I try to get an SBA loan and they want like nearly a perfect credit score. They want collateral. They want you to own your home and things like that, which are all the institutionalized racism things that you hear being talked about. So I would like to see a much more critical conversation um, about things like that in the running industry. Just going to piggyback off of that and maybe just what you were saying so what are your hopes for the future? Today is January 20th, 2021, Inauguration Day. I just dropped that in there slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, good what context. are your hopes for the future, both for Renegade itself and the running community? Well, of course, you know, I hope that we can be in a place in time where we're not losing so many working class folks to to a pandemic because they don't have health insurance and because... They can't even think about the idea of not working, right? So it's like, why go get tested? I need to work. Like, fuck that. I need to go get tested. Why, you know, so my health isn't important. I need to take care of my family. I hope we get to a day where um, where folks of color are not disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. I hope that we can gather in spaces without masks and just be more kind to each other support one another, listen and learn and grow from one another. Um, I, I, I am excited for those days. I want to continue to partner with folks that I really admire out there in the industry. Um, speaking of the East Coast, I want to, I, 
the brand I've been dying to get is Noah. I'm like, oh my God, I love Noah. Noah's an awesome brand. That's an example of like a brand that I feel like has beautiful overlap. And they're already, they're already, I think I just heard that they're also working with um, that Adidas group. Is it Tin Man, I think, is the elite racing group. Anyway, I would love to partner with someone like Noah um, in 2021. So just again, just, you know, creating more partnerships with folks that, that are not expected on the front end. But then after the partnership happens, you're like, yeah, of course, this is like the right kind of partnership. And the more I can share what we're doing to sort of change that paradigm with other folks, um, I'm, I'm excited and interested in doing as well. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I hope for 2021. We do a little tradition at the end of our podcast where we ask our guests to give a training tip to our listeners. So your tip can, you can do whatever, you can say whatever, it can either be running or life related. Well, so if you consider yourself a fast runner and you don't run with a running crew or running club, or you do run with folks and they're, they're kind of just like you, like they're all post-collegiate folks that all weigh like 115 pounds, put that aside put on some training shoes and go run with a different group of folks that you've never run with before. And remember how beautiful and amazing running is with folks that you don't know. Like that's a really beautiful experience. Um, I think that right away would change the cultural dynamic right away. Second, if you are of somebody who runs pretty traditionally in a, in a, in a routine that is comfortable and familiar to you, if you can take the time to go run in a place and preferably on a trail that you've never run in before and don't run with your earbuds on, maybe even without your GPS, like just get out on a trail and experience that. If you haven't had a chance to do that, or you haven't done that in a while, I feel like that's really transformative and amazing. And then finally, I would, I would, you know, I, there's, so much value in keeping your body strong, like physically strong. And remember that healthy running means keeping your body physically strong. And there are so many ways to do that now. Um, I love kettlebell work, especially because you don't need heavy weight to get a really good workout. And it really requires you to develop your core much more to be able to move that, that weight around. Um, so integrating some, some kind of work, some kind of work that's going to help your body stay strong, um, I think will also lead to uh, longer and healthier running. Where can people go to find out more about Renegade? Well, we're certainly on social media. We're on Instagram. We have a newsletter that if you go to our homepage at the bottom of our homepage, there's a little like, put your email in there and um, get our newsletters. They come out every Tuesday and um, we put some thought and time into them. So we hope that they're a little bit informative. And then, um, yeah, you can, we're, you can drop us a, a, a question or reach out, you know, via um, direct message on Instagram or they can email um, me. It's Victor at renegade-running.com. And I love, I love talking, talking, you know, about the running industry as a whole and and politics as well anytime so <laughs> that's awesome um one question as a former english teacher do you do the newsletter i don't actually um <laughs> I, I i i help with the structure of it and and sort of what where it's headed but i have a really awesome um she runs also because she also runs our social media 
and uh, her name's Sarah Cotton. She's phenomenal. She's amazing. And she just, she's just great at like, yeah, at just kind of putting out really beautiful images and really great storytelling. And again, it's also good to like share in that narrative, right? Like as I was saying earlier, it's like, let's get more people's voices. Um, hey, Sarah's a young white girl from Connecticut who um, went to Georgetown and is like just an amazing white ally, as I was saying earlier, like a really big heart and, and is like, and, 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 and loves and learns and listens. And um, so I think having her voice, having a, a woman also kind of directing our storytelling is I think also a really important piece since the only other, the only other ones that and I are the only other ones. I think it's great to have a woman um, voice on those things as well. So. Thank you so much for taking so much time. This was just so wonderful. And I was, we're both of us were so looking forward to talking with you and let's keep in touch. Please let us know if you're ever on the East coast. I will be out there at some point. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, and I'm here for um, in any way to support what you all are doing. So please keep me connected and keep me posted. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks. Appreciate it.